0: I'm tired of being nice. Tell me when I'm telling lies. I did all these things and I got here to this place riding a wave, riding the backs of smart, passionate, professional wrestling fans like you. And oh gosh, I'd never fit in somewhere more in my entire life than I have here in professional wrestling. I love you for it. I love you because you love me. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 12 Gauge Uncut. I am your host, the 12 Gauge Rocky Shaw, the next Georgia legend. Today I come to you as a special episode I'm a little tired of pulling punches myself. Today, we're going to have a talk. We're going to have a talk about those people who are trolling the podcast, that hate the podcast, and I'm hurting their feelings. And so, they attacked my friends. They attacked their social media. They whine and complain because they can't handle the 12-gauge station as it is. So, for you guys, we're going to Have just a little bit of time to play your violin and understand that Rocky Shaw and the 12-Gauge Nation, 12-Gauge Uncut is here to stay. We're here to dominate you, and if you're not getting used to it now, get used to having your ass kicked by our podcast. We will be bringing you the best, the most honest, the most uncensored versions of, of the podcast available because... And I'm not saying uncensored as in language. You guys will try to keep that PG-13. I always do. But what we will do and what we will strive to do is bring a realistic aspect of the people that are on this camera. If you're going to be fake, you're not going to show the fans who you are. We're, gonna, we're not going to go through and do scripted promos. That's just not going to happen on my podcast. We're going to have genuine people. So, I can't exclude myself from being genuine either. So, what we're going to do after getting that little bit of housekeeping out of the way, guys, we're going to talk a little bit about my journey. Some of you heard it from other podcasts. Uh, I've had so many other people suggest that I actually discuss it with you myself. So, with that being said, we're going to go on a personal journey of where I started from. I started as a little boy in Shannon, Georgia. Um uh, uh five, six years old that I can, you know, when when I get to the state where I can remember. Um, lived in I guess the the around the pocket, somewhere around their range at one point in time. My mother lived down a dot long dirt road which had a history um We had a guy that was completely insane at the time that would chain a stool to his ankles and drag it up and down our porch. And he would, you know, stare in and view and watch my mother feed me, you know, things like that. Guy was served for certifiable nuts. And came to me later, there was a famous case where this same guy picked up a young girl at the end of a um, a bus stop. He murdered her in the pockets. Uh, I believe that's, if my memory holds this, it's been a long time, guys, so bear with me. But that, I say that just to kind of give you an idea that no silver spoon, no glossy treatment was given to me as a kid. Uh, I come from a very abusive home. Um, My father was actually in prison with Grand Theft Auto when I was born, so my my mother did everything she could to provide for us. And when he actually got out, didn't have a bond with the man, but didn't, he was very abusive toward my mother, and which brought out an abusive side of me where, you know, I was very combative with him. Um, and, and to be quite honest, uh, there were several times that I promised to end him when I was a little boy. So it was a very volatile situation, which my grandparents eventually pulled me from. Um mm-hmm. Margaret and Russell Cantrell, those of you I I'll, I'll go ahead and build through, uh my grandmother's not with us anymore. Uh my grandfather still is, and people know him from his hard work ethic around Rome to this day. Uh the man never stops. We're talking about the man's ninety-something years old at this point and just refuses to sit down and stay still. He got COVID when everybody else got COVID. And as tough as a pine knot, the man pulls through. So that being said, uh, moving on into life, they raised me up. I come up, and he, he took care of the Leadbetter farms, things like that. I, I would get in from school, jump on the back of the truck, you know, when you could still do that. Just in the back, me and my cousins, we'd go bell hay with him. Um, he'd drop us somewhere off on the farm, and we would take off. Uh, I'd come back with everything from lizards, snakes, and turtles. Um, you name it. I caught it as a kid. I was that kid that would bring home anything and everything. If you go back as far as th- that time frame of, I wasn't a very big kid. Uh, I was actually a really small kid. For those of you know me now. You know, I'm 6'2", 235, but at that point in time in life, I wasn't. Um, Genuinely, a a small kid. Um, But I had a love for wrestling. I remember watching Sting and um, Lex Luger, Ric Flair, and that excitement. Then that grew when I met Hulk. You know, not met. Excuse me. I, I was a poor kid, so I'd, and I never have, but still to this day met him. But watching Hulk Hogan on TV, amazing. The, you know, a hero was born for me instantly. The bright yellow tights, the fact that he encouraged all the kids that were around him. I mean, ultimate babyface, right? That to this day. I know his his future. He's it's been a little bit tarnished, but uh, happy birthday, Hulk! He just had his 70th birthday yesterday, so I will congratulate him on that. And everything's done. He's he's human, guys. We 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 all fall short when we're human. Uh, it's it's a big cross to bear to be a role model for everyone. Um, I try to live up to it today with, for those kids that are fans of mine. It's very important for me to watch what I do, watch what I say, you know, and and lead a good example. When you go through those things as a kid, though, excuse me, what we do makes all the difference in the world to, to what they see, you know, I can name. I, I know the kids that come to watch me, and that are that we take pictures with every time. And thank you for your parents and everything that bring you to there uh, to see us. I'm taking you on a different role now, which I miss the fact of being ringside as often. Uh, but developing this new role, I get to see. Excuse me. One more. Thing. Sorry about that. We have developed a new plan. And this is 12 Gauge Uncut, where I can reach out. I can touch you fans in actually a more intimate way than before. So you kind of get to hear my stories. Uh, and I will continue on the path of where I was at. I know I kind of got lost on that. Where from that kid following wrestling, that. I enjoyed Hulk Hogan, you know, uh, then the Ultimate Warrior. Man, I can tell you when Ultimate Warrior and Hogan faced each other in the match for the title versus title match. I can't tell you exactly the amount of mixed emotions that I had at that point. They were huge. They were just, I mean, overwhelming. To have that attachment to see both of these two guys, which were real life superheroes for for a kid, especially for someone who looked for a role model that shaped a lot of his a lot of my morals off of what baby Faces did as wrestling. So there, there's a there's a huge thing there. So I went on to grow up. My my parents never supported the fact of being a wrestler. That was I was too small for that. Was never going to happen for me. It wasn't in the cards. I got on to uh, me and my 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 best friend at that time, Jeremy, we wrestled around a tree at his grandfather's house that was basically some pine trees set up to a flat ground, and then there was a tree up toward the top that we could actually climb and jump off of. Um, yeah, we jumped off of it. That's right. We our hardcore matches involved DDTing on on pine, pine roots things like that. We were crazy. The don't try this at home did not apply to us apparently. And we take taking bumps for us was just a normal thing. And uh, suplexes, power bombs, figure fours, body slams, and and we were shooting back then. I mean, it was it was what you got. I mean, other than strikes. That That's probably the only thing that we actually did not do uh, full force. The rest of it, we tried to kill each other on. So then moving on a little while later in life, I, I, I find kickboxing. and I was a cocky, bad, bad attitude kid. Uh, as far as when fighting comes, um, I knew I was a lot to handle, or at least I thought I was at the time. And then I get into... And finally, a the Academy of Martial Arts, which is um, out on uh, Old Rockmart Highway right now, it was uh, is actually the gym, and where the um, as far as the workout gym. I can't remember. I just went blank on the name, so I apologize. So we practiced there and studied there, and I uh, Bill Price was the Sifu there. Uh, so seafood price uh the cjo uh would have been as far as that time was also there and um Philip johnson sorry i am having a time to think today um, when me and when I first got there we i meet we talked to him with my grandfather and and so I sign i the first thing I have to do is sign a release form before a demo. Which, you know, as as a kid, I thought nothing about it, and I still wasn't impressed. I've I've got this guy in front of me that's probably about 54 years old, and he's going to show me a thing or two about fighting, and this is considered a street fight. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I I, at that point in time, had street fought and whooped black belts in Taekwondo. So I really thought when he when we get out there and he starts talking to me to get me get the demo that I'm probably going to embarrass this old man. So he tells me to hit him, and he really wants me to hit him. So you know I did as I would do, and I I swung full force as fast as I can. In that amount of time, you know he had t- he had tapped my throat, my sternum, and actually I flew over his shoulders into the on the other side of the ground with him holding my apple, apples, Adam, i mean, uh, uh, Adam's apple in his throat, hand in a grasp. This man could have legitimately killed me at any given time. He wanted to. So respect was born very fast there. Cause that's when you take your respect. And he took his respect. Bill was, did not teach point fighting. He taught, real self-defense street fighting bill was a green beret and he had a plaque and although people were going to find this kind of strange to display his plaque from the green beret stated 54 confirmed kills those were hand-to-hand combat kills because the berets were dropped off in a two-team setup at that point in time and they had targets to eliminate if you're partner, from my understanding, the way that was, even if your partner got injured, your partner broke his ankle, you generally didn't leave your partner alive because he couldn't make it and he was a liability. So one of the two finished that off too. Um I don't know for exact exactly if that ever happened, never brought that up to Bill himself. Um I know some of the stories he had were probably too gruesome to relive and they probably shouldn't be glorified and talked about either way. It it, it was a different time and a sad time uh, for people to go through. But I say this as far as learning Jeet Kune Do through Bill Price and Philip Johnson. We did, we wore tennis shoes. We did not learn how to fight without our tennis shoes because how many street fights did you get into with no shoes? We wore what about as considered MMA gloves now as the basic ones we had. Our fingers were free, and we had little four-ounce gloves covering our knuckles. So was it common in our sparring matches for people to get knocked out? Yes, it was. Um I, I've knocked out – quite I had a list of people's teeth that I've knocked out, um people that – You know, that I've knocked out and caught before they even realized they were knocked out. Um, Hey, Scotty. (laughs) As far as, there's so many different avenues as far as when you learn combat like that. We got told, we had a specific time of how you were taught by Bruce about covering your center line. Your center line was covered by... You, you had three warnings during during a match, if you, especially if you were with one of your senseis, that, you know, cover your center line, cover your guard, cover your groin. You only got told that three times. The third time was the strikeout, and you got hit in that area as hard as possible. Now, I will tell you quickly, you do not get kicked in the groin so hard that you bounce up off the ground, but a few times, and you and usually once is enough for most people to... Make sure that that never ever happens again. So we didn't have weight classes. Um, I fought big guys, you know, at 300 pounds when I was 165 pounds. Um, I can think of John Reich right now. If he's out there anywhere. Big shout out to John Reich. Uh, moved well for a 300 pound man. He um, probably hit me the hardest that I've ever been hit by anybody and not actually been knocked out was um took a shot from him, right square in back of the head um man talking about something that shook my world and you learn a lot of respect for that i compensated because i was fast and really strong kicker i mean surprise right The 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 12 gauge uh system as far as my kicks was born a long time ago as far as um my snaps, my roundhouses, my wheel kicks—most people can tell you they were some of the most painful and fast kicks that you could actually experience. And then I, I had a hell of a jab. My jab was uh, my jab was known for knockout power, and so um, I enjoyed my time for in mixed martial arts. Everything as far as um, all the way up until. I took a I took serious, several serious knee injuries because I I did do a lot of muay thai blocking so and for those of you know that's a kick to like a kicking system that you when someone strikes you with a kick you strike back with a kick well that's true and good but a toll it does take on your body the scar tissue that's been removed out of my knees over time has been quite noticeable um, and still my knees are. You know, I've got a torn meniscus, and you, you never really heal a torn meniscus. It's, your knee's always unstable at that point. But all that being said, I went into, so moving on into life from there, it's like everybody else. You get to working. You work hard. I worked at Office Depot in Rome, Georgia, and, you know, I slaved and worked, tried to, you know, at the time, I thought like everybody else, you know. Yeah, I get into this, I get into a managed position, I make great money. Not, re- not realizing retail was not where I wanted to be, and I, I still have nightmares working retail. Um, I was really good at retail because I was good at multitasking, but I quickly learned no matter what you do in retail, there's no real progression. As soon as the politics change, the management changes, everything that you did or promised disappears overnight. And so I learned that's not where I want to be. And we went I went from there to I had moved to Staples, still stuck in the retail uh scenario there. Worked with another one of my buddies that I met at Office Depot, which was a store man, which was with the assistant manager at the time there. They brought me over uh with him, uh is Keith Youngblood. Those of you know him, give Keith a big shout out. We went to Really build that store up. Uh, I had a buddy that I worked with high school with that wound up being uh, my best man, and Chris Carnes. And Chris, big shout out to you too, as well. Miss you, buddy. And we did, did a great job with that store, but again, plagued by politics, plagued by emotions, and you know, it just wasn't where I needed to be in the long term. So but I did meet my wife there. She was working the cash office there. I was working key holder as far as trying to move up into an assistant manager position. And we got married and shortly and left Staple shortly. I'd probably say within six months of getting married. We both left on a, unplanned timing and so so we you know i was i was let go she she quit on the terms that i was let go at that point in time which was rough then we both don't have a job um she shortly within a month or two she found one working where a for a plant that does pcb uh boards things like that and she was soldering pcb boards So that was helping out a little bit, but I was struggling because all I've done is retail. And I was really set back and crushed the same way. So I had done all that I could, but I started reading books to find out what I needed to be, who I needed to be, how I could level up. And make myself more valuable to the job market and make myself more valuable to me because... I knew nothing but retail, but what I didn't realize that I'd learned a lot more multitasking and customer service skills, better at talking in front of people. And I was very approachable. People like to come and talk to me and I love to talk to people in most circumstances. There are a few people like all of us. We don't really want to talk to from time to time and maybe ever, but that being said, that's a whole different line to go down i walked to and fro as far as, and you know, the John Maxwell books, uh, I've been in meetings with. well, no, not at that point. I was about to say, I got, I eventually got blessed with, with being the opportunities. When I finally had the opportunity that popped up, my wife said there was a company called RJ young and it was a copier company at the time still is, um, Really great company, brought. But I was like, I can't apply for this. It says college education required. I don't have one. So she says, I think you should apply anyway and see how it goes. Well, so I did, uh, thinking that that was never going to happen. And probably within a week after applying, I get a phone call, and it's from a gentleman named Tyler Bauer. Tyler Bauer is going to be one of those names that was very influential in changing my life. Um, we don't keep my touch anymore, and I, I wished I, I wished I had. That's probably on my fault that I don't give him calls more often. Um, but Tyler Bauer uh, met with me, talked with me, we interviewed, and I, you know i I had a really good time talking with him. He was very down to earth. And, not, like, he treated me like I had never been sat down and, and talked to this way it was because he was obviously in a much better position than, than me, but treated me just like I was on the same level playing field as him, which I was. But at that point in time, I didn't believe it, didn't know it, that I, I'd still saw people in their versus in classes because that's the way I grew up and I wasn't at the highest of that class now as far as intelligence I, n- I never had a problem being intelligent uh, even though you know my schooling is just a different time frame as far as I didn't do well in the traditional schooling system because um, attention deficit disorder but I could learn anything very quickly but you had to keep it going faster I was bored and I would do other things so I could I could do tests really well, couldn't take notes things like that that they would grade you on. So I'd make I'd make passable grades because based on tests, loved biology things like that. But um, that being said, as far as that, that just kind of talks a small part about about intelligence, and intelligence is what you work for. I can you know pick up and learn anything. I'm learning podcasting now. Uh, there came that point in. My career, however, where I had to learn professional sales. So Tyler brought me on with RJ Young after passing um, a test, a personality test that you had to pass in order to qualify to work for the company. Well, I, I passed as, at that time what they called a blue seven. And those blue sevens were what they wanted for us as sales guys, our ladies. So shortly on, I become I took a place on to work, R.J. Young, and I spent like a whole month in training. These guys gave you a fantastic training course, but but I I stayed in the Maxwell House in Nashville for a month with another friend of mine. Well, no, he became a friend of mine. That learning this role and what we needed to know how to how to prep our days, how to learn how to work your plan, uh, because I we learned in boy if it's never been true is you've got to work you've got to make your plan and work your plan because if you don't your day will work you and you quickly learn that as far as how to self discipline yourself and to work that plan how to see so many people a day you know that you fill up your your pipeline for the end of that time frame and to achieve it but at that point in time so I went on from from Young to at that time I left R, and when I did leave R J Young and this was somewhere around when Obama came in the and not blaming anyone but that was when the the economy did a you know an upturn so nobody was buying stuff and I for a sales guy that's bad and so I was really suffering from. Not making the money that I needed, and then getting behind on quota, so I left R.J. Young at that point in time, and God, if I can remember, went through a spam where Tania uh, was working with D defects, and that's my wife again that was as a case manager. She worked there, we had kids I was I was keeping the kids working at gamestop for a little filler money at the At the end of the nights, that she'd come home. Did that for a little while, but, you know, there's there's really no real money in there. It was enough to, you know, give us some extra spending money throughout the time frame for the, I mean, just a little bit. But no, it was nowhere where we needed to be. Then I went on to work for, i um, trying to see if that was, it was charter communications. I worked as outside sales rep for them. Um, was making really good money. Their outside sales program, you sold, you know, you sold 10 plans or so of the $99 bundle w- within your month sales month. You could make six to $6, eight thousand dollars easy in a month. Um, and I was good at sales, man. So for a while, I was just racking it up here. And, and around the Cedar Town, I was working out of the Cedartown location there and was racking the sales up. Then I went, then I got opportunity to, after we had some management shifts there, there was a point where they had a management shift and everybody actually forgot me that I was getting my paycheck and everything, but nobody even realized I was still in Cedartown. It was like the company just had overlooked me because the guy they brought over in Atlanta to watch over both teams had no idea I was even there. So it, it was a really strange, like two to three months of me trying to get my work, my territory and turn stuff into people that didn't even know I existed. Uh, so kind of a weird thing, right? You're, you're working for a major company and they even forget that you're there. And you know, you're just picking up your paychecks and, um, that's how, that's how that went until, uh, Moved along, and that they they let me go as, well, they brought me on afterwards. They convinced me to take on the management position there, which I excelled at into a level that the other teams were not competing well. I was even asked to, by the other team managers, to slow down because I was going to make the rest of them work too hard if I kept this up. Well, I, I don't work that way, guys. I don't. I don't lower my standards of work and what I can do. It, it just continues to rise. Is the better. And the more I can train these guys to do exactly what I could do. And it was, it was my guys doing the work. They accused me of doing the work for them. When these guys were just learning my techniques and they were excelling, um, I had a really, really great, uh, team and uh, Damian Shakia, um, Kenny Curtis, yeah, some of y'all, you know, may know know Kenny Curtis. He's actually Reverend Kenny Curtis up on my Bremen. Um, that being said, moving on, let's let's skip on to the life. Is uh, I took a job with um, JBM, which is the la- the last big job that I had, and JBM was great. Uh, has been a great opportunity for me and they became like a a really close family and went through a rough time. Um, Shortly after I came on with JBM, I'd probably say within the next year, we started discovering that my wife, Tania's kidneys were starting to fail and shut down. She was diagnosed with a hereditary condition called polycystic kidney disease. Now, so PKD, as it became called was going to be the most devastating challenge of mine and my wife's life at that time because uh, we're conflicted with the fact that there's no way to cure this it's incurable what happens your body's immune system is basically working itself and it makes cysts on your kidneys and they eventually consume your kidneys both of them You can't cut them off. They're just going to reappear, but they're going to eventually consume the kidneys and calcify it. And yes, you can live with one kidney, but you can't live without both of them. And they both were declining in function at a very rapid rate. And we have two girls that, you know, that I'm not ready to raise two girls all by myself, nor do I want to. Um, And so we're faced with how to get through this. And and it was a devastating blow. Um, I mean, I I was in a rough spot at that point in time when I was probably, oh man, 240. I was, and not in a muscle 240. I was, I was a fat boy at that point in time. Um, But at that point in time, we get that information. We hear the the, the long-term is dialysis, and then death would follow if we did not get a kidney transplant. So that kidney transplant had to happen some way. In my head, I knew that was something that had to happen. We went into survival mode. I turned into a, a, to that next level because I knew it had to be that next level for her, and we both had to. It, the diet had to change, the food had to change because they won't give a kidney transplant just to anyone. You've got to meet very serious criteria because they look at giving that kidney to someone who can make sure the rest of their body holds up through that time. They don't want to. The end result if they give a kidney to someone who dies anyway or dies for some other reason. It looks bad on the hospital. Let's be honest. It's, for them, it's about the money. It's not always about the survival. So we know we have to play that game at this point. That she has to be in the optimum health conditions to receive this kidney. Um, then we got to find someone to give the kidney. If some of you remember we went through that. Uh, asking on Facebook. You know, there was a GoFundMe. We did everything we could. We had several people here in Rome that tried. They did not pass the test of, were they compatible with her? No. Um, I wasn't compatible, plus I had kidney stones before. If you have kidney stones, you cannot be a transplant uh, option. Moving on to that, her sister tried. Her sister had too many obstacles in the way of her health, her weight, her blood pressure were not were not in in a controlled form. And so that wasn't an option. Um, at that point, her, her, her mother was, was nowhere in condition to do so either. Uh, pretty much the same reasons with blood pressure, um, weight, health issues, just there would, there wasn't an option there. So, it wasn't looking great at that point in time because we had to wait on that means either someone to die that had a kidney that just happened to be compatible with her or someone that would come forward and then had a compatible kidney that they just were willing to donate. And we didn't know anybody else. The, the, those limitations had ended. So... At that point, we, we we're going to moving on to, we're doing the best we can, you know, and all of a sudden her, Tania starts losing weight. She stops eating because she's, she's tasting metals, things like this, which are signs of your kidneys really failing bad. And she just didn't have an appetite. I watched her just dwindle away at weight wise, where I was trying to get her to eat at any time I could in my head, knowing exactly what was happening. Then the doctors, we send her in. This was getting close to, uh, I think, a Christmas or a Thanksgiving. I can't remember exactly the first instance we had in this. Uh, I think it was getting closer to, I I really don't remember, but I remember we had something coming up. We had to go to the hospital, and she was low in potassium. And her body was, and it was because she wasn't eating and she wasn't digesting and moving those foods around. And we gave they gave her potassium through an IV, which I can tell you and attest to from watching her is one of the most painful things that she'll ever have happened. She, I held her hand as she cried for hours as this stuff went through her, her system. Um, extreme pain for 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 this. And it was she described it as like acid running through every part of your veins in in your body, and um, I've experienced that with fenugreek before, which. It doesn't seem to be on the same scale. The, the pain level, according to the nurse, this was far worse. So, man, we were, we were really getting beat up. I mean, you know, I can't tell you at all that it cares that, that it makes you, um, man, it brings me back right at the moment, times of the dusty roads, hard times make a better man. <coughs> Well, I'll tell you what, hard times was there, baby. So, what we had to do is what everybody else had to do. You could either lay there and die or you get up and fight. And I was born a fighter and always will be a fighter. So, we got up and we fought. We got up and we fought and did all we could. Went through her dialysis, had, you know, I worked. Her, The one of the teachers at her school would bring the kids to the Dallas center drop them off until I could get over to the Dallas center to pick the kids up. And, uh, man, two girls that, you know, this is, they know what's going on. No, they're not. I mean, kids know they can sense things it's taking a toll on them. Probably the most traumatic event that's happened in their life thus far. And I hope they don't have another one near that, but unfortunately they need, they had to go through it with us. And, I have great girls, by the way, just a side note. They're smart, and they've come through things very well. Very proud of them. But that that being said, all, after all these things get through, we are um, at Chili's one day eating, and we get a phone call while we're there, and they call us and tell us we have a kidney. Um, and this was right before Thanksgiving, and they were like, we can transfer it. To you, but we need you to be here on Thanksgiving. We need, and so uh, we were like, Yes, like I don't care what's going on. Yes, we're going to be there. And we are ecstatic, both of us crying at the table. One of my buddies that runs Chili's, uh, Jeremy New comes over. He's he winds up hugging us, he's crying with us too because he's well aware of the struggle we've been through, and uh. You know, the man comps our meal, takes care of us because that was such a huge moment in our lives. Um and I think so in his too at that point, because he was there right there with us experiencing uh he had walked through some hard journeys with his son right before all this went down. Or maybe it was after. I can't remember. I think it was before this actually happened. And we went through uh, it happened to be what's, and Tania would be best to explain this, but I'll do the best I can, like a chain recipient. So a girl in California was going to donate to someone, but she wasn't, her friend, but her friend wasn't compatible, but somebody else was. So they agreed to continue to give her kidney, if she would give her kidney to somebody else. Tania was the perfect match for this kidney in California. And this is where. That the magic happened, and so they fl- they take it out of her flight in flight directly and as they're taking tanillas out and put it put it in and swap it in and out. and this was such a nervous time though because you can imagine this is a huge surgery she's weak, she's tired and I'm terrified because they don't and they don't just as a process they don't take your old kidneys out they put the new kidney in. Because there's too much risk in taking the old out and putting the new in. There's too much time. There's too much chance of infection, blood loss, and everything else on this time frame. So they just add the new kidney in. Um well that that came out as a success and we went through we were at the hospital, man. I was in Emory, I was I walked and lived in Emory for probably a month, it seems, but it was it was several weeks and, but You know, from dinner to lunch, I didn't leave her side the entire time. Um, I showered there, slept there. You know, the best you could sleep in hospital, I probably didn't sleep for a month. I had probably the most bloodshot eyes of any individual, like a zombie. But I was worn out, but yet grateful. We had been through something, and we were coming through the other end of it. And so, after all that was said and done, we got done and it gave us a new change in life is we started doing things I st- when you know I was more competitive. I pushed myself harder than ever in the gym to be the very best version of myself. Well at one point it got me a lot of attention. A lot of you guys had noticed me on social media, started following me at that point. Uh, we developed a team and a group that worked out together. Um a Team, we called it Team No Limits, and if you're a big shout out to any of you guys that were part of Team No Limits, at that very point in time, it was where I'd got some talk and some notice about, like, you know, why, you know, you're in great shape. Why, why don't you wrestle? Why don't you? Why, don't, why aren't you a pro wrestler? No, well, that thought was that was cool, but yeah. At this time, I'm, eh, let's say, 39, 40 when this this conversation come up. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm something 40 years old. And I had several people look at me and even at that time and say, you know, sounds like an excuse to me because age ain't nothing but a number. And, you know, I was in better condition at 40 than I was at 30. And why couldn't I? I mean, even I have a metal ankle that's been reconstructed. Why was I making excuses of what I couldn't do? So it comes down to one of my daughters, we're having a conversation and until we talk about chasing your dreams and always chase your dreams. And she said, Daddy, didn't you want to be a pro wrestler? Boy, that hits hard. That, that moment seemed a lot. Like, run through my mind for eternity before I could answer and says, yes, baby, I do want to be a pro wrestler. And she says, so why don't you be a pro wrestler? Well, you know, the, the stars aligned and the opportunities aligned. And I was very thankful for those people that came forth to, to help me. start. I started in the backyard scene. Um, we I ran for the, with what's what was called RWE th- at the time and David Holbrook was actually running that. And so we tore it down and I, I developed friends with, through that time. Uh, Caleb Bogles, big cash, um, me and big cash become my brothers. As far as we were the first two, I worked with him to learn everything that I could that he was learning from Mike Golden. I didn't have the money and to train with Mike Golden. I, I just come through what I did with my wife and I was broke. I had nothing but grit and determination and a lot of MMA skills. And to the fact that most people were afraid that, you know, I would slip up and knock somebody out, which I will say did happen in a whole different way in another story um, Derek I'm sorry (laughs) Um, but but that being said I started there as the alpha male Rocky Shaw so if somebody is and I I had some t-shirts there moving on uh, after I left in a door open I'd left RWE And that, that door was, I was kind of content that it was, it was closing for me, but I probably did all I could at that point in time with my, the financial situation. I get a call, um, from another promoter and he, he probably would prefer that I not mention his name. So I won't, um, asking me, would I be willing to talk about coming to work for KLT? Never really thought about it being an option, to be honest. This was the the guys that we we were kind of ran against, you know, in the best attempt we could for what we had. Um, I mean, we, we didn't have the training or anything else, just the passion. Well, after I explained, uh, I'd love to, but I can't afford my golden surprises and I can't afford the training. It was made of, well, we can work out something. Just, you know, meet Saturday morning, we, 10 a.m., be at, be at this class. So I walk in and, you know, another, um, at that time, KLT uh, booker, um, and former WCW worker and things like that, actually, um, met me, welcomed me in talked to me, heard my story much like you're hearing now, but more abbreviated version of this story. And we began to work and I began to learn how to be a pro wrestler. Now, everybody's comments can be what they are. Uh, If you want to talk about how successful or how good I was. But I'll say this, I was blessed within a two year time of being an absolute nobody, to you fans loving me and cheering for me and becoming the 12-gauge nation that I have now, to I've got two plaques over here to the side of me that says year of the year, Rocky Shaw versus Big Dog for 2022. But I also won the KLT's most popular performer of 2022, Rocky Shaw. I main evented superstars in 2022 guys in a dog cage match, which was a cage match with a metal dog collar around me. And for those that don't want to watch this match, I can guarantee you this entire match was what you call stiff. The chain met my skull several times. Um, my opponent, my hands was bruised at the end where, you know, they absolutely hurt from pounding big dog's skull. It was a brutal match. And I dropped that 12 gauge and got the one, two, three. And that was the night of my life. Even though I took a beat down by the mafia and had, um, you know, a, Three hundred pound man standing on my chest by the end of the night. That they were just too upset to let us have our moment. So, at this point, Rocky Shaw has achieved one goal and was asked to move and 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 do another. And that that opportunity at that time uh, came as starting primetime wrestling. Now. That venture didn't get very far into, we let it all the way up until, um, I guess the first two or three shows and, you know, unfortunately things didn't work out management wise with that between me and them. And it, it was time for at that point in time for me to return home. And Chris Jackson gives me a call and says, Rocky, we want you back at KLT. And I asked at that point in time, I said, what about, what does Ricky Wiggins say? Does Ricky want me back too? Because that that was very important to me. He's Ricky owns and runs that house. So Ricky's wishes were on the top of my priority. And that was a consensus that Ricky being the man he was, he did want me to come back. I did come back and I am not in wrestling condition right now because I am standing kind of on a on a waiting list to see how um, I have something called HCM, uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy was diagnosed. So I don't have the cardio that I should have in that ring at this point in time. So for the health of me and my opponents right now, we are on a standstill to find out if that can be fixed and if I can return to the ring. I will tell you They tell me, no, you will never return to the ring. But I've been told no before. And I'm going to say, I know my body better than anybody else. And if we can get through this, we'll get through this. And I will return back to the ring. And I'll finish what I started. And everybody will know exactly who the 12-gauge is if you've forgotten at that point in time. But as Rocky Shaw um, its current status goes, 12 gauge uncut is my focus. I appreciate you guys support anything that you can do, uh, see my patreon, just hitting a like and subscribe on um, whether it be I- Apple, Spotify, uh, really helping me grow my YouTube channel. If you could just take that time, I know it seems like just a small moment of time. But if you can take that little bit of time, likes, comment, because even a comment looks as engagement. All that really helps me out. Sometimes just nothing else. If we're having a rough day, it gives me a good smile to see that you guys are out there and talking back to me. But I hope you enjoyed this podcast. This is me laying it all out there on the line. You've heard a story that, as personal as I can give you, that's a... Rocky Shaw to the 12-gauge nation. It's my heart. And I love you guys very much. And, man, I was, all I can say is thank you so much. And have a great, great afternoon.